Holy Spirit, uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to go back to the Old Testament. Lord, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce deep within us, dividing asunder soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of our thoughts and intents down in our, in our heart. Lord, um, and all of Scripture was breathed out by you to teach us and encourage us and correct us, Lord, so that we can stand before you and, and amen it back, the term that, used, that Ian used this morning, to just say, yes, Lord. Get us ready to do that today. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, well, we started last February. On the, on the Jacob story, uh, I, we, we did a long introduction to the first 25 chapters of the book of Genesis. And I said, okay, hey, there's some things here to get. Number one, the seed. The seed of the woman is, is carried in the genetic, genetic line from Eve all the way to Jesus. And God goes out of his way to protect the seed. And that's the, you'll see that line run through the Old Testament. Second, there's, a prob- there's the problem because... God promises this land to this family, the family of Abraham, but they never get it until much, much later. You know, the promises keep coming, and the covenant with God keeps saying, it's going to be yours. And so they look, and there it is, but the land is occupied by the Canaanites, all right? And then we were introduced to God's rule. God God says, this is the way it's going to be, and and Cain says, "Uh uh-uh, not going to do that. And Abel dies as a result of Cain's, you know, Cain just rejects, blows off God's counsel, where the Lord says, your countenance is wrong. You know, go deal with your stuff. It's, it's, it's you know, it's crouch, something is crouching at the door. And he warns Cain, Cain goes, ah, never mind. And so then you have this division between those who long after God and those who want nothing to do with him. And that leads to that, the ongoing conflict between God and Satan throughout the Old Testament where God says, we're going there. This is to life. Choose life. If you choose the other way, if you choose death, this is what results. So we're going to start today with all that kind of framework around this because it's the same framework. We're just going to put new characters into it. Okay? So the son of Abraham was Isaac. And Isaac needed a wife. And so Abraham sent off to the family compound in Haran, which is in northern Syria, and the faithful servant brings back Rebekah, and they're married. But Rebekah is barren for 40 years, and it takes Isaac 40 years to get around praying for his wife to have children. And I'm going, hello? <laughs> you know, you may have had an extended 40-year honeymoon, but he does pray. Isaac prays. Rebekah conceives she has twins in her womb, and... She's not a happy camper because in her womb, there are twins that are at war with each other. She just kind of goes, what is going on inside of me? And she inquires of the Lord. The Lord says to her, remember, there are two nations. One is going to be the, you know, the younger will, will command the older. Essentially, the second born, God overturns the, the, the primogeniture rules. In other words, firstborn doesn't always get the goods. Okay? And the Lord, before the children are even born, says, it's the second born that I'm interested in. And Rebecca puts that in her heart and holds it, carries it. She has birth. They're twins. First one is Esau, and he's the baby who's born covered with this red, downy kind of fur, because Esau means red. 
okay, in some senses, okay? And then the second baby is born, and it's Jacob, but Jacob is born clinging to the heel of Esau, and he gets his name from that, the heel grabber, the supplanter, the sneaky schemer, okay? And, and he sort of carries that, that character with him for a good portion of the text here. <clears throat> so those boys grew up knowing Abraham. Grandpa Abraham was alive. They heard the stories of God's faithfulness. They watched mom and dad, Isaac and Rebecca, they watched how they maneuver life, and they didn't do it well. Okay? Isaac loves Esau. He's a man of the fields. He's a consummate hunter. He supplies the, the, the game that Isaac loves. <clears throat> and he's, you know, my firstborn. I love that man. Whereas Rebecca has heard from the Lord, and she loves this younger son. The younger son, Jacob, lives in tents. He's, he's in the household. He's not out in the field. He's in the household. And he becomes a master husbandman. He knows how to care for, doctor, nurse, care, and breed livestock. And as a result, Isaac's household gets wealthy. It grows on the back of Jacob's capacities as a husbandman. The story turns that Esau's been out hunting in the field. He arrives home. He's famished. He's just shaking with hunger. And the thing that hits him in the face is the smell of the hot bucket of, of red lentils. Okay, it's got paprika. It's got hot ground chili peppers. It's got cumin. It's got ginger. It's all those spices that would have been passing by on the caravans. This is a wealthy camp. They can buy those spices. And Jacob drops them in with the lentils. And that's what Esau smells. And he comes charging over and says, give me some of that red stuff or I die. And Jacob, true to his name, says, you sell me your birthright first. And Esau's response is, what good is a birthright if you're starving? Now, what he gave up was the right to lead the family. He gave up the right to lead the family in worship. He gave up to manage the financial affairs and the marriages. And he gave up the double portion of inheritance. He eats and goes out to the field again. Shortly after this, Rebecca is standing in the tent. And these, uh, you've seen, seen pictures of these black, you know, woven goat's hair tents. And there's a section to this, this section or this tent over here is for women. And this section here is for family where they eat together. And this section is for only for the patriarch. So Isaac is in his section. And he calls to Esau and he says, you come here, son. Go get me some game and feed me that spicy wild game dish. And when you're done, I'm going to bless you. I, you know, Isaac chooses to do it in secret. This is supposed to be a big public deal. It's supposed to be open. He does it in secret. What he doesn't know is Rebecca is standing behind a sound transparent but, but opaque piece of cloth in the tent. She hears every word. Esau goes that way, Rebecca goes that way. And she goes and finds Jacob and she says, come here, son. Put on the Esau's clothes. Wrap your arms and your hands in the, in the fur of kid, of kid goats and put it around your neck. And here, I'm going to make this highly spiced dish out of kid goat so it mimics wild game. And you now you go in and present that to your father. You get the blessing. Jacob goes in. And he says, here am I, Father, I've got the, the, the wild game dish that you like. And, and Isaac goes, wait a minute. This smells like Esau. This feels like Esau. But the voice is Jacob. 
And Jacob goes, oh, no, I'm really Esau. <coughs> Esau. And lies. And here's what, here's what Isaac tells him. Here's what Isaac does. Did everything but bring my reading glasses, so we get every third word here. Okay, here's the, here's the blessing that is poured out on Jacob. He says, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. May now God give you of the dew of heaven, out of the fatness of the earth, and in abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve, may, may people serve you and nations bow down to you, be masters of your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you, and blessed be those who bless you. He's thinking, man, I delivered that on Esau. Bam! Jacob collects the reins of dinner and goes, whoop, under the tent. And on the other side, here comes Esau. And he said, God bless me, Father. I got this. I shot this animal right outside of camp, and I made the, made the dish, and I'm here to serve you. And Isaac trembles. Isaac just shakes. He's just rocked to his socks. Who are you? I'm Esau. I'm Esau. And Isaac realizes he's been had. And the blessing has gone to the second born. And when that becomes apparent to Esau, Esau is enraged because he knows my birthright is gone and now the blessing is gone. And he, and he pleads with his father, give me a blessing. And this is, this is what Isaac says over Esau. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above, and by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break the yoke off of your neck, take his yoke off your neck. Isaac walks out that door and he's enraged. He is murderous. He intends to just... Jacob. And the word gets around camp, and Rebecca goes, uh-oh. And she goes with a plan. She's a schemer, too. Okay, She goes with a plan to Isaac and says, you know, Jacob is not like Esau. Esau married two Canaanite women, and they are appalling. Canaanite morals, Canaanite values, Canaanite marriages. Yeah! And, and Isaac agreed. And so Rebecca says, let's send him to the family compound in Haran, that he'll go find a wife back with the family remain, the folks are still back there. So Isaac calls Jacob in, blesses him, and sends him out. Penance. He's got nothing for the journey. Okay? And, and Jacob, recognizing his brother is out to kill him, he starts running. And he moves 50 miles up the spine of the land of Canaan, meaning he's on the high places. He's up on the rocks. He's not down in the Rift Valley to the right. He's down on the coastal plain. He's going, he's going fast. Because any moment he thinks there's the possibility that there's Esau, and I'm going to be transfixed with, by an arrow. Esau's coming to get me. And so he's, he's got his head on a swivel. He looks both ways before he steps into the open. And he's out there 50 miles, and he's exhausted. And he, and he shows, and the text says, he comes to this certain place. Like, it's just a place. And he lays his head down on a rock and falls asleep. And heaven is opened. He has a dream, he has a vision. And God shows him angels descending, angels ascending. And then the Lord says to him the following. Behold, the Lord stood above 
it. And it's another way to translate it. The Lord stood above him. The Lord was with him, right next to him, kind of over him. Okay? <clears throat> and says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, that's grandpa, and the God of Isaac, that's dad, and the land on which you lie and will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west, the east, the north, the south. <clears throat> And you and your descendants shall all be family. You shall all. It's good. Can't read that. <laughs> shall and in that in your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And behold, I am with you. Will keep you wherever you go. Will bring you back to this land, and I, and I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And he and he disappears. Boop. And Jacob wakes up and goes, Wow. I didn't even know God was in this place. That's amazing. Let's call it the gate of heaven, Bethel. And then he kind of responds to God. He says, okay, if you feed me and you dress me and you protect me and you bring me back to my father's tent and, uh, and I, uh, then I'll worship you. You can be my God. Okay, God did it all unilateral. I am going to do this to you and for you and I'm not done till I'm done. Jacob's response was, if you do this and if you do that, then... I might get around to responding. And then he starts running again. And he goes the rest of the way, all the way to Herod. He gets there, rolls in. Here's a shepherdess, beautiful woman, with sheep or goats or both. Oh, she had a flock. And she's standing at a wellhead. Okay, and there's a stone cover set over the top of the well for, to keep it clean, to keep the water clean. Nothing blows in, nothing drops in. But it's made out of stone, and it usually takes two or three guys to pick it up and move it with difficulty. And the shepherdess says, I have to wait for the other, the other people. So he says, is this, the, is this where Laban lives? And he went, she went, yes. And he said, okay, well, let's just do this. So he goes over and he picks up this monstrous chunk of stone and moves it himself, which was a jaw dropper. But he's been doing this as the husbandman of the family all his adult life. Okay. No big deal, but it was a shocking thing to watch it happen. So when he's introduced to Laban, the story of lifting the stone clicks into Laban's head, and Laban goes, that man can work, and a worker like that is worth gold. Jacob falls in love with the shepherdess named Rachel, but he's penniless. He has, doesn't have the bride price. He can't go to her father, his uncle, Laban. Laban was the brother of Rebekah, okay, his mom. Can't go to Laban and say, I, will, I, I want your wife, I want your daughter for my wife. So he proposes a labor contract. I will work for seven years to get that woman. Okay? Prolonged engagement, guys. Don't recommend it. All right? Seven years later, he says, my time has come. I want my bride. They have a party. They blow it out. You know, they dance tambourines, whatever it is, and late at night, a veiled woman is slid into his bed, and he wakes up in the morning, and it isn't Rachel. It's Leah, the older sister. And he's, he's enraged. He's, in, he's shocked, because he thought he was the schemer, and all of a sudden he realizes, I'm dealing with someone who is far more canny and cunning than I am. And he rushes to Laban and says, what is the deal? And Laban says, oh, well, it's our custom. We always marry the oldest sister first in our, in our families. And, oh, by the way, if you just keep your wedding feast going for another week, you can have Rachel, too. Second wife within the week. Um, 
in return for another seven years. So he's caught. He's in the web. He's got a wife that he didn't bargain for, and, but he loves Rachel. He says, yes, I'll do that. And he commits to seven more years. He loves Rachel, and Rachel is barren. He hates Leah because she's part of the web. She's part of the being cheated. But Leah is a baby-making machine. She conceives and delivers and conceives. Now, here we go. Reuben, Levi, Simeon, Judah. Bam, bam, bam. You know, quickly, four sons, and then her body stops conceiving. And Rachel is desperately aware that she's not the number one wife. She may be the most loved wife, but she's not the number one wife, and she cannot conceive. And so she gives her handmaid, Bilhah, as a secondary wife, concubine, slides her into Jacob's bed, and she gives birth to two sons. But at the same time, this, this bitter thing is going on between the wives and the family, and Leah says, well, I can, I'll see you and raise you one, sort of thing. <laughs> and she slides Zilpah into, the, into the, her handmaiden into bed with Jacob. Now Jacob has four wives, and Rachel gets to manage rotating bits. It's not a cool thing, okay? Out of that comes 10 sons and a daughter. Because finally Leah comes back and she has two more sons and she has a daughter, Dinah. <clears throat> After 14 years, Jacob recognizes, I got nothing. I got, I got a family and I got nothing. I'm as penniless as when I came through the door. And so he goes to the cheater and he tries to outfox him. And he says, all right, I'm going to work for you six more years, but to my pay, it's going to be all the, all the spotted, striped, weird, black sheep and goats. You keep the purebreds. You keep the white ones. Okay? Well, God had revealed to him that those hybrid goats were the most fertile. They were the ones who, when they mated, they had more kids, and the kids survived. Okay? The does and the ewes were fertile, whereas with the white sheep and the goats that were the traditional, sometimes they gave birth and sometimes the, the little baby, you, you know, lambs and things didn't live. It's okay. The Lord showed Jacob how you're going to do this. So they divide the flock. All the white ones go north three days with the sons of Laban to separate them. And Laban thinks, I've got it. He's going to fail. And Laban is absolutely convinced that once again, I've got Jacob right where I want him. For six more years. And finally, the Lord remembers Rachel and she gets pregnant and delivers Joseph. The Lord comes directly to Jacob and says, Go home. Get your wives, get your children, get your servants, get your flocks, and run. Get away from Laban. So he gathers them up, and they're all in agreement, and they start running. You know, they'll go as fast as they can, not to, not to kill the children, not, not to wear them out, and not to kill the flocks. There's only so fast that you can gallop a sheep, okay? And expect that he can do it the next day. So this moving, I mean, he's an immensely wealthy guy now. He has men servants and women servants. He has flocks and herds, and he's moving south. He's going back to the land of Canaan. Laban's three days away. He's shearing sheep, and he hears Jacob's gone. And he took your daughters, and he took your, the children of your daughters, and he took your flocks. Well, Laban is like, I'm going to get them back. 
They're mine. And so he mounts a troop of camel-riding cavalry. They're armed men, and they can move much faster than flocks and herds and children. And so it takes him seven days, I think it says in the text, seven to ten days, and they run down. They Finally, they run down Jacob's craft. And they catch up to them in the Jordanian, Transjordanian highlands. You could probably see into the land of Canaan from where they were. But it's, it's the highland directly to the east of the, the river Jordan. And he, and he camps for the night. He can see it. He can smell it. Jacob's over there, and I'm going to get him. And in the night, the Lord appears to Laban and says, Don't you do this. You be careful how you deal with Jacob. So... Now the fear of God is on Laban, and he sort of says, "Hi, how, uh, how are you doing? You took all my stuff and my, you know, my daughters and my, you know, these are these are my daughters' children and my flocks." And 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 Jacob has just to confront the cheater and say, "You changed my wages ten times. You did this. You did this. You did this." And and you know what? This is now. These are now my wives with my children, and these are my flocks by contract with you. Laban's response says, "Well, no, they're still mine." My daughters, my daughter. But what's uh, what's what is that between us? We're we're relatives. We're men. We can work this out. So when they make a covenant between them in a place called Mizpah, okay, and it, the covenant was essentially a curse. The line was drawn in the sand, and the text says, "The Lord watched between me and thee while we're apart, one from another." It's not gentle. It's not loving. It says, "You cross this line, you're a dead man," and vice versa. You know, Jacob, you come across that line going north, I'll kill you. And they part. You know, they, they have a feast and they do this and they build a mound of stones and they part. Jacob picks up his family and runs for Canaan. And he passes through a cloud of angels on the border, comes into the land, and then he's informed Esau's on his way. And he's got a mount, mounted troop of camel riding raiders. That's what, that's what Esau's been doing. He's been making his way as a raider. And they're coming. Jacob panics. And he says, okay, let's send out a bunch of gifts ahead of me. Let's see if I can buy them off. So I'll go the gift of sheep and camels and stuff is sent ahead of him to try and blunt the anger of Esau. Then he sends Leah that way and he sends Rachel that way and he's alone at night on the bank of the Jabbok River. And out of the dark comes an angel who engages him, you know, Jacob doesn't start to fight the angel does. Okay? And they go at it chest to chest all night long. Now, the style of wrestling that they would have had would have been stand-up version. This isn't throw the guy on the ground and, and thump him on the ground. This is stand up and try and throw the party to the ground. And neither can do that. And they do it back and forth and back and forth all night long. And Jacob is still hanging on. And at dawn, the angel says, let me go. The dawn is breaking. And Jacob says, not unless you bless me. So the angel says, I'm going to change your name. You're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel because you prevailed against men, Laban, and God. And then he touches the, the hollow of his hip and he's lame. And the angel's gone. And that day, Jacob has to walk, limp, shuffle. Every step has to hurt. You know, a newly out of joint hip has to just be bad, but he doesn't. He walks out in front of his crowd 
and he can see the cloud of dust coming toward him, and they're mounted raiders, and he expects it. They're just going to ride over him. They're going to ride right over his family. He's going to be cut down. It's going to be blood in the sand. And Esau hits the brakes. He yanks that camel around and skids that camel to a stop, leaps out of the saddle, hurls himself into Jacob's arms, and there's tears on the sand. The brothers are united. After 20 years, somehow that murderous intent is gone. It's just melted away. And Esau says, Who are the, who's this multitude? Who are all these people? And Jacob introduces his sons, skips the wives. Okay, these are my sons. Okay, and he, he, Leah first, and then da, 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 finally Rachel. Because he put Rachel at the back just in case she could run fast enough to get away from the, from the uh, mounted raiders. And then Esau said, Oh, and what are all these land, you know, the livestock? You keep sending stuff in my direction. What Jacob did was try to buy him off. But what he did was return to Esau the double portion that he had cheated him out of. He says, I'm a wealthy man. I can afford this. Here, take it. Finally, Esau takes it. Esau says, let's go to my place and we'll celebrate. And Jacob goes, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be along. Esau goes south. <laughs> Jacob goes north. Recognizing there are two, this is oil and water. They're, they're two different animals. And it takes him about 10 years to wander through Israel, excuse me, to wander through, through the land of Canaan. He stays here and he moves there. He ends up in Shechem, major crossroad, major highways, trading routes, moves in next to this Canaanite city and buys some land. And Hamor, the, the king, figures, man, this is a cash cow. We, are we, all of us are going to become wealthy because this is a wealthy prince. He's got fighting men. He's got huge holdings, and they're going to do business with us, and we're going to profit. And, and so while they're doing the commercial deal over here, Dinah, the only daughter, decides she wants to visit a Canaanite city to get out of a, a herdsman's camp and go to the city, get in the town. What's it like? What's the dress of the women? What are the perfume? What? And she walks in, and she's taken She's snatched by the son of the king, the prince, also named Hamor, and raped held, and held captive. And so here comes the prince back to Jacob and says, I love this woman. How do I set up a wedding contract? And Jacob says nothing. But his sons step in front. They take over the negotiation. They lie and deceive the men of Shechem and say, oh, well, we can't be in covenant with you for marriages unless you're circumcised. And so you do that and we'll consider this. So all the men, you know, they're, uh, they decide this is, this is a financial opportunity of mega proportions and they all line up and they're all circumcised. So on the third day when they're in exquisite pain and not a, probably not a little infection, okay, they're in, they're in a bad way. Every man, every household. Then Levi and Simeon and their servants sweep through the city and kill every man. It's murder. It's slaughter. And they take everything in the city as booty. And they take all the women and children as slaves. And Jacob, Jacob's response finally is, what have you done? Now all those people in the land are going to hate me and they're going to come after me. He's more worried about his skin than he was about his daughter. And his sons respond, weren't you going to stand up and stay? You know, they, they used your daughter like a prostitute. Okay? And, and at that point, the Lord steps in. And it's almost as if he says this. It's paren, enough! Close paren. Now, he doesn't say that in the text, but the, but the sense is, you're supposed to be someplace else. You're not supposed to be here. 
Get yourself to Bethel. Because Bethel is where you're supposed to come back and worship when you come out of the land. He packs up new slaves, herds, servants, son, sons, daughters, wives. They are in motion. They move. And he says, okay, get rid of all the false gods, all the idols, ditch them. Wash your body, put on clean clothes, and come up to Bethel to worship. He gets there, and this is what the Lord says. Finally, he's coming home. He's in Bethel, again, this high place on the high, up on the spine of the land of Canaan. And God appears to Jacob and says, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel be your name. Ten years in between. You know, he, he sort of gets to a standstill with the angel, and his name is changed as a blessing, but he doesn't take that name. Now the Lord says, change your name. <clears throat> God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings will come forth from you. And the land which I give to Abraham and Isaac, I give it to you, and I give it to the land to your descendants after you. And then the Lord says, he's gone. This is, this is uh, one of the pinnacles, if not the pinnacle, of, of Jacob's relationship with God. He's back. He's worshiping. He sets up the pillar. He, he, he fulfills what he said he was going to do. I'm going to come back and I'm going to worship you. Okay. Now, let me jump forward a couple of maybe four centuries. Okay. Spring. Late spring, 1967. I was finishing a freshman year, headed to finals at a junior college, and I heard there's a revival meeting in Corte Madeira in the North Bay, <clears throat> and I had a driver's license. Whoa, I had the key to the car. And I took myself to that revival meeting because I just had this prompt in my heart that it had been a really dry freshman year, and uh, we were in a little tiny church, and I was tired of the little tiny church, but I, I, I still loved the Lord. So I went to the revival meeting, and they said, okay, you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. You come forward. Anybody done that? Okay. All right. So I went forward and in, in a sense said, again, Lord, it's all yours. Uh, weeks, within weeks, I had loaded that car. And I had, I departed at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I was headed for the Sierras. I had a summer job for the U.S. Forest Service. Um, I don't know whether it was going to be fire suppression crew or garbage. I don't, you know, they didn't tell me what I was going to do. But I was going to work in the Sierras. I had my fishing rod. You know, I was just looking forward to it. So I drove all the way up to Echo Summit, Highway 50, had lunch, turned around, started back down the hill. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I fell sound asleep at the wheel. I was out. And I missed a, on the left-hand side, I missed a parking lot full of people. I missed oncoming cars in the on, on the lane, only two-lane road. I missed oncoming cars, and I planted the front end of that Chevy station wagon into the only tree in 150 yards of the of the cliff overlooking the South Fork of the American River. And when we slid, when I slid off the road, I had on a seatbelt. Whoa, high-tech seatbelt. I had a seatbelt, but they didn't have shoulder belts then. And so what happened was I slid over next to the door, and the wheel went right through where I'd been. Now, if I'd stayed in the place with, a, <laughs> if I stayed in place, locked in place with the shoulder, you know, my chest would have taken the blow from the from the, the wheel. Didn't happen. Thank you, Lord. I was dragged off of impaling metal in inside the vehicle by the by the ambulance guys. They didn't know I was all hung up inside the car, and they, it 
it cut me up pretty good. Had to have surgery, spent a week in the hospital, and a summer in a full leg cast. And throughout that summer, I went, God, I just gave you my life. What is that all about? My car is gone. My summer is gone. I, you know, this is a blessing. Okay. So likewise, get ready. You know, remember the zoom. Remember the zoom out, people. Get ready. Okay. Likewise for Jacob. Okay. He's supposed to be in Bethel. He's on his way to Bethel, but he's walking away from from slaughter in Shechem and the violation of his daughter. He's coming up the road to Bethel, and Deborah, the beloved nurse of his mom, Rebecca. Rebecca's gone. Rebecca's died. Unmarked grave. She was involved in the cheating scandal, you know, that got him the blessing. Okay, she's gone. Rebecca comes, excuse me, Deborah comes to live in his camp, and now Deborah, the tie to his mom, she's gone and buried. They finish the worship at Bethel, and they turn south, down the spine, toward Bethlehem, and Rachel is taken with childbirth pains. She, it's her time. She's pregnant again, and she has a horrific birth process and delivers Benjamin, and her final words are just bitter, bitter, bitter words. Jacob has to step in and change the name of the baby. And now it's Benjamin, son of the right hand. That's funny. You know, Jacob went, no, we're not going to do that. No, change the name of the baby. Buries his beloved Rachel. They pack up and they move again. And they get to Bethlehem. There's a tower that overlooks all the lands and fields and places where sheep could be. And in that place, they camp there. And the text says, in that place, Reuben, the firstborn, lays with Bilhah. He defiles his father's Wife. And in the same verse, chapter 35, verse 22, same verse, it just in passing says, Oh, and Jacob heard about it and did nothing. Now, when Reuben did that, that's not lust. That had nothing to do with lust, that had to do with politics. Rachel is gone and Reuben wants to slam the door on the memory of Rachel, who was the beloved wife. Not the first wife, but the beloved wife, who got tons of attention from Jacob. And Reuben is committed to make sure his mom, who's number one wife, Leah, remains number one wife. And second, in the scriptures, when a man comes in and takes his enemies, wives and concubines, that's either full-blown rebellion or it says, I won the battle and all you have is mine. We have to decide, what is Reuben doing here? But he basically is out of, completely out of compliance with his dad. Absolutely. And then Jacob packs up the family again and they go further down the spike to Mamre. And there's Isaac. Isaac is still alive. His father is still alive. And it's, this is the final piece of that worship thing that he promised uh, when he left the land, when I return to my father's house, then I will worship you. I, you could be my God when I come back to my father's house. And then Isaac dies. Isaac's 180 years old. And Esau and Jacob bury Isaac in the cave of Machpelah, where all the, the other patriarchs are buried. It was the land that Abraham purchased in a little tiny burial plot. That's, what they, that's the portion of the land that they own. Okay? 
All right, Ford family, now zoom out. Some of you are sitting there going, yeah, what did you just do to us? You know, you, 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 the, you know the, you've got death and death and defilement and death and death and defilement. And this is the doorway to start the account of Joseph. It sets the stage for even worse, so to speak. Okay, so what do we do? We, put, we zoom out. We lift our eyes and we say, God, what are you doing? Okay? So God brought Jacob out of Canaan to his uncle's house, penniless, and he's a worker. Now, some, of, some in this room remember coming from other nations and arriving as workers, as penniless. Okay? That, that problem has been in all of, all of creation, ever since the beginning. You know, people arrive penniless and they work. In this case, Jacob works to become a prince, immense wealth and immense power. And he's got a name now that says, Israel, I have contended with men and with God. <clears throat> but when, we're, when you hold that high position, when you're looking down on this mess, God wants a covenant, not just with Jacob. He wants a covenant and a working, loving relationship, trust relationship, faith relationship with every member of the household. It's obvious he doesn't have it yet. Just look back down the road. Okay? <clears throat> and we're, only, we're only four generations away from idolatry. We're only four generations away from Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was called out to go to a, a land and to worship a God he didn't know. God wants to keep his promises. He had promised grandfather Abraham that the there would be a season in the life of his descendants, of Abraham's descendants, that for 400 years, the descendants of Abraham would be in captivity, would be in servitude. He didn't tell Abraham what that nation was. He just said, when it's over, when 400 years is up, I'm going to judge that nation and bring you out. He promised a return to the land. He didn't tell Abram. He didn't tell Isaac. He didn't tell Jacob. It's going to be Egypt. Okay? There wasn't a hint of that because perhaps Egypt was not in the ascendancy that we recognize it today. Okay? But God is committed to somehow keep his promise that he made to, Jake, to grandfather Abraham. And that God wants to introduce himself into a rising nation. So every man, woman, child, boy, girl, baby has a relationship with this living God. See, we're less than 500 years, right here, less than 500 years away from the Exodus. We're less than 500 years where God lifts them out of Egypt and delivers them across the Red Sea and says, you're, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And they go, yes, Lord. And they worship in the Sinai. Now, okay, zoom back in. All right. Death and circumstances beyond our control happen to us in the flow of life. How many, how many different ways can you think of to die? There's accidents, there's disease, there's warfare, there's, uh, you know, uh, you name it. There's, all, there's a bunch of different ways that life can suddenly go, boop, and you're done. Okay? You go flatline. The Lord has counted the days for your life. 
You listen to the television programs, radio programs. Oh, man, our, your retirement planning isn't adequate. You're going to outlive your money. You got to, wait a minute. The Lord has counted the days you're going to live. And who's the provider? He is. Okay? But when death comes and, and, and the horrible consequences come, all right, he is present. Okay? When you're bruised by life, you just didn't see that one coming and you just got swatted. He is present. He's introducing the, the concept of the, of the providence of God. He didn't plan this. He didn't set up all that evil stuff. Okay? But it was time for those people to pass from the scene. And, and so he's, he is present there and he's watching to see how you respond because he wants to redeem that mess. If you respond right, he's right there. If you respond wrong, he's willing to walk you with you while you work that out because he's a redeeming God. And in those places where you feel cut off and alone and it hurts, that's when he is present. You might be silent, but he's present. So how do you figure out what am I supposed to be doing? Well, you do the zoom out again. You zoom out and you look and you say, God, what am I supposed to be doing with this? You look for what he told you to do last. You look back and you go, oh, I'm supposed to be faithful in this job or in the, as a student or as a daughter. or as, I'm supposed to do this well. Fine. Go and do that. Now, hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. He has numbered our days. Okay? And, the, and the, the flip side of that is to say, I'm going to be as serious about that as you are, Lord. I'm going to number my days and I'm going to commit myself to know wisdom. What is wisdom? Beginning of wisdom, fear of the Lord. Okay? He's in, you know, you bring to bear the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, the worship of the Lord, and you figure out, how do I do life in this mess? All right. Lord Jesus, um, this is a rough passage. And for some of us, you know, it's not something we would choose for devotions. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, you long to have the word of God uh, teach us and correct us and organize us and lift us. Every word breathed out of your mouth. So, Lord, help us think now about how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.